0: Welcome to season two of our Brave New You Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Lou Hamilton, co-founder with Meredith Hepner chapman of Brave New You Apparel. I interview real-life brave new girls and guys who have chosen a road less traveled, risen to the challenges, and found the courage to keep going when the going gets tough. They share the lessons they've learned, their wins, and their vision for the future. Brave, bold, and sometimes bloody-minded, they bring you their stories from the edge. This week's guest is Jade Statt, a vet who recognized that homelessness was a growing problem and that many people living on the streets have pets. So she founded the charity Street Vet UK to help deliver free care to those animals that have such a therapeutic impact on their owners. Welcome Jade to Brave New You Tribe. Hi Jade, how are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm very good. I'm wondering how, in lockdown, um, Street Vet has been managing to work and reach people and look after those who are living on the streets, uh, their dogs.
1: I guess it's been varied, if I'm honest. So at the beginning, we all of the clients, their dogs have got a tag um, with our out-of-hours numbers. So it's a free phone number, so that, obviously, if they don't have credit on their phone or they don't have a mobile, they can get in touch, so... We have actually found we've had contact, it's increased by over 100% our calls since lockdown, which is alarming but also good because otherwise we we wouldn't be getting in touch with them at all because our outreach had to stop as a result of of COVID-19. Because normally the vets and nurses go out with a soup kitchen and obviously all the soup kitchens, any big gatherings all stopped. So we started off just responding to calls. A lot of those calls were to do with food because again they used to get the food from us so we've started well we did a lot of targeted outreaches where we met up with clients at specific locations and obviously socially distanced dropped off food dropped off chronic medications and in the same way as we normally work if any of our dogs needed emergency treatment then we would fund them to to go into a vet so but I guess it was it was limited because vets at Different stages have increased the things they were able to see, but anything emergency wise obviously went straight into the straight into practice
0: going back to <sighs> younger days, had you always had animals what was what led you to train as a vet in the very beginning?
1: usually, when you speak to people in the veterinary world, like their parents were a vet or their uncle or you know they grew up on a farm or something like No, no pets, none. Um, Nagged for them, begged for them, um, eventually got gerbils that we hid from my dad. But it was a book. I read um, a book by, it's Virginia Vale, and it's about... uh, daughter and her dad owns a vet practice and it, it's her sort of just loving what he does and going on all these sort of adventures with the animals so I was about 11 when I read them and that was it I was done I decided I wanted to be a vet so I started going you can't do this so easily now but I started to see practice with a vet from the age of 12 so yeah and I'm I'm a pretty determined human being when I put my mind to something so that was it I did nothing else just a bit so yeah I got my first dog yeah when I was 12 (laughs) I did a lot of nagging but I got I got it in the end but yeah
0: and that dog must have been very well cared for
1: yeah so he was chocolate labrador and yeah my parents had had dogs growing up but they were very much wanted us to be me and my brother and to be responsible so yeah when we when we got him yeah they're they're life transforming but yeah I was a big chocolate Labrador person I still am but I now have a husky and some kind of Belgian Malinois cross but you know you end up with what you end up with but yeah
0: I'd had cats growing up but I'd never had a dog and so I was I'd actually always been really really scared of dogs so when I finally got one last year. I was completely overwhelmed by how much personality they have and how much you you can identify with them and see their emotions and feel their different moods and so was that something you discovered when you first got your dog at 12? Yeah I mean I, I
1: guess working at the vets though as well I mean I mean I remember the first time I was at the vets and a dog was put to sleep like I just ran out that I ran out and I was in the in the street sobbing and this woman came up to me and she was just like, what happened? And I was like, dog just got put to sleep. And she thought it was my dog. She And I was like, it's not even my dog. Like, I was just beside myself. And I thought, I can't do this job. Like, I literally don't know how I'm going to be able to do it. But I think that's the thing. I probably saw more through seeing practice of people's relationships with their dogs. And, you know, I mean, I was there for years. So, I mean, I was there right up until I graduated. I would go back to the same practice. So that's from like the age of 12 to... 22, so you get like that's like a whole lifetime of somebody's dog that I would be seeing quite regularly, and and I think it's witnessing that that relationship between a person and their animal is is pretty special. Obviously, your own relationship is incredible, but it's only through having that kind of relationship that you can now understand how important it is to someone else because it it does you hear it all the time, you know, like somebody has had their dog put to sleep and then nobody at work is is. You know they, they can't cope and they're not in a good. And they're like, well, it's, it's just a dog. Like until you've had a dog, you will never get that. You will never. And I can see you getting it now because you've now had a dog. But it's it's a relationship like nothing else you ever experience. And I always, when people turn around, they say to me, I've got a dog and it's the first dog I've ever had. And I I actually can't believe. Like you look back at your life and think, how did I not have one? Like how have I missed this piece of just wonderfulness <laughs> out of my life? And it's very special. Uh, in my opinion
0: and that passion quite often when we're sort of educated through our passion it can sort of turn a little paler and so I wonder whether in your training was it sort of fairly traditional what was that like for you
1: training to be a vet yeah I mean I think I mean it's really hard (laughs) um I'm not gonna I can't sort of paint it up any other way but I guess the bit for me is when you first go to vet school you're so used to being an achiever you know you've worked really hard you're used to being top of your class and then you get into vet school and you're in a room with all these other people that are used to be top of their class and i remember i'll never forget it like the first thing one of my lecturers said was look around you he's like because one of you is going to be bottom of this class and i remember just be like i don't like it here <laughs> i want to go home but it's true you know i was working and and had you know amazingly smart colleagues and and, you know, determined, all the things that you think are unique in you, they've all got them in bucket loads. And, yeah, it was hard, but it was also just, it was amazing. Yeah, I absolutely I absolutely loved it. So I think, I mean, this is an aside, but, you know, a lot of people become vets and there's been a lot of talk about, well, within my profession, people feeling quite jaded and, and quite sort of disengaged with the profession. had my moments just because it it's a vacation it's not a job like you know there's so much of yourself invested in it that it can overtake you and it can exhaust you and sort of suck the life out of you a little bit but that's only because the people doing it went into it for the reason didn't go in for money that's a biggest misnomer ever (laughs) you go into it because you you want to help and you care and you love animals so obviously over a period of time, if you're, you know, doing three, four, five euthanasias a day, you know, it takes its toll on people. So there's nothing else in the world I would want to do. I love my job. But I think that it's something that people don't think about. And and I didn't think about it until I started doing it. But you know, we've got the highest one of the highest suicide rates, you know, mental health, one in four, one in four vets get mental health issues. And people always sort of say to me, like, why is that? I don't understand. You're like, you know cuddling puppies it's amazing and I'm like okay but you've got to flip it you know you're seeing people people's emotions people's pain you went into this to cure dogs and sometimes you can't and money comes into it which is really painful to deal with but also you don't really get any I mean you do so much born out support but before when I graduated you know it's very much you're graduated off you go um and if you were really lucky you had an amazing boss, which I did, thankfully. But if you weren't in that same position, you know, it can be really, really extreme, you know, how much pressure you put on yourself to do everything. When now as a new graduate you get a lot more sort of hand holding and, and support, which is how it should be. But
0: what do you do to sort of help yourself and your own mental health? So I
1: guess <laughs> here comes street vet i guess for me i my dog my dog is like literally you know so at the time of of street vet and when i first started doing it i had another chocolate labrador called oakley who my first boss bought for me when i took my first job it's very random um he was a proper character he left a voicemail after my interview and said if you come and work for me i'll buy your chocolate labrador and I was like, well, I was going to take the job anyway, but I will have the chocolate labrador. So I got Oakley my first, you know, vet job and I had him, he came to everything, anywhere you go, work, everything he came. So I have had quite a few bouts of depression and gets diagnosed with recurrent depressive disorder. And each and every time he's just like, he was just there like a little beacon of constantness and... Yeah, they're just incredible dogs. They're just amazing. I, there's no other way I can put it. My therapist used to call him my guide dog for depression. And I guess, yeah, so at the point when I met the particular homeless person with his dog, Oakley was had been diagnosed with high-grade cancer. And I knew, you know, I didn't have long left. And when I met him, he was worried about his dog. His dog had a skin problem. Nothing crazy, nothing life threatening, but it just kept playing in my head, like what would I have done if this was Oakley? Like I was feeling helpless, and that was when I had all my knowledge, all my friends, all the specialists I could contact, and you know insurance, and I still couldn't save my dog, and I knew that, but this guy, you know, I just thought what what are you gonna do and I just sort of hit me, and I just thought if I had what I needed in my bag, I could have fixed that, so I just sort of walked off with it in my head. And it was from there that, I guess, Street Bet for me was was created. So I do attribute it to Oakley, always have. And, you know, he's the face and all the vaccination cards. But, you know, it was for me good for my mental health to volunteer and give back in that way. But it was because of my own mental health issues and how my dog helped me that I looked at that guy and I just thought that dog's everything to you, like literally everything. And there must be a way that I can help.
0: There's one thing: seeing one person on the street and connecting with them, and feeling that you can help. And it's another thing going right. I might have a plan here. <laughs> I'm going to go into the street, and I'm going to help lots of people. What were the steps from meeting that first person to then doing it in a sort of bro- on a broader scale?
1: I guess like I never ever, and I think that's what most people would say, had any intention of doing it on the scale that it is now. I just knew that I had always, as a vet, wanted to volunteer and give my time back. And in the UK, it's actually not that easy to do that, whereas it's very easy to do it abroad. So there's something called the Worldwide Veterinary Service, so you can literally go to Fiji and volunteer for two weeks and, and come back. and. As much as going to Fiji appealed to me it never really I didn't really get the same sort of I wanted to do something here and where I live so I had someone knew that about me and knew that I had this idea met this guy and they said you need to speak to a guy called Joshua Coombs so Joshua Coombs is a really good friend of mine now but he is a hairdresser and he goes out in the street and he cuts people's hair For the homeless and he has a movement called do something for for nothing and it's all about asking people to give their skills back and join him in this movement of helping people and and giving people your time so i just emailed him and just said i want to do what you do um we met up for a coffee and he is a very very inspirational chap to say the least and yeah so It's not as easy as taking a pair of scissors out and and cutting hair because not that I'm undermining what Josh does because he does an amazing job, but from a veterinary point of view, I had a lot of hoops to jump through to make sure that I was, you know, abiding by all the guidelines and that I was doing everything correctly. So it took me a bit longer. Mm -hmm. Um, But Christmas 2016, I went out with Josh. So he was cutting hair and I was looking at the dogs. So yeah,
0: that was it so that first experience how were you feeling in yourself were you scared
1: i don't really do scared um i think that's part of the scottishness i don't i don't know i never really felt worried about you know any interactions that i had with people i guess it helped that i was going out with josh because josh was known they all knew him he's been cutting their hair so and i think that's the foundation that we built street vet on is that we know work alongside known entities so within the homeless community we're hooked up with an outreach worker or we're hooked up with soup kitchens, so that you know the people there are trusted known and then we, we get an extension of that trust so I think that being with Josh was was definitely helpful and I think if I'd you know been completely on my own I don't think I was going to be scared but I guess I guess it just would have been like you know do these people actually want my help like they're going to think that what am I doing here? Like just stoating up and offering them help. So, but I think, yeah, it was very much a case of once I'd started, it was a recognition how much it was needed. And then also recognition, well, I never really had any doubt that the profession would want to get involved. I knew they would, because I know enough people in my career to know that if they were like, oh, do you want to come with me for two hours on a Sunday? Yeah, 100% they will. Whereas I had quite a lot of, negative people, like, maybe not within the profession, saying people aren't going to want to do it. Jade. Like, they're tired. They've done a... You know, they've been a vet and nurse all week. Why would they want to go out at night and do it? And I was like, because they will. Like, they just will. Because it's so different from, you know, stripping it back to, to the real core of why you got involved in this profession in the first place. You're just a person helping an animal and helping the person that owns that animal. There's no money, talk. there's no insurance, there's no time. It's just that relationship. So yeah, they didn't disappoint me.
0: (laughs) So when you arrive in a place, does someone introduce you? Do people approach you?
1: It's evolved. Um so it did start off with like just naive little me in a backpack like bouncing up to people. But it's now as I say, so if we open in a new location, the first thing we do is contact all the hostels to see if any have like except dogs. And the other thing we do is contact soup kitchens and outreach teams and say is there a need and can we work with you because the the whole essence of street Vet is that we're not asking people to come to events we're not asking people to come into a location because that's what i discovered through doing it and talking to our clients is that that's the part that's the sticking point so you know there's never a situation where somebody with a had an emergency couldn't turn up at pdsa or you know blue cross and, and get help But there is always that barrier in their mind because a lot of our clients obviously have slipped through the cracks of society. They're completely disengaged. They are distrustful um, and for obviously sometimes very good reason. They've got mental health issues. They're worried about being asked for donation. They're worried about sitting in a waiting room with everyone looking at them and also proving they're homeless, which is not an easy thing to do impossible to do actually so what what street vet was doing which was different is we were seeing people in their own environment where eligibility was determined by the people we were working with the fact that we were in the community we were seeing them ourselves but also where they felt safe and comfortable and you know i guess you just build up trust so you, you don't rock up and people immediately trust you. They just don't, and that and that's fine. And and whenever we have volunteers coming on and say, "Oh yeah, I want to do it," you're like, "Okay, well, don't expect to see hundreds of dogs because you won't." You know, you could go in a new location and be at that soup kitchen for five weeks before anyone will come and speak to you with their dog because they want to know that they trust you. And that's quite that's been quite a normal pattern. I would say now that Street Bits, a bit more known, and uh, we have a reputation. Hopefully, that says we are about keeping people with their pets. We don't, we're not, you know, we are an engagement service. We're trying to help. Then I think we're getting people coming to us more, more readily at the beginning. But yeah, it just takes time.
0: There was also somebody else in the country <laughs> doing a very similar thing, and you somehow came together. How did. how did that come about?
1: uh The power of social media. Yeah. And the, so my co founder um, is a vet, his name is Sam Joseph, and he, and I came up with the same name because, you know, it's very original, Street Vet. Mm-hmm. And so he had uh, created a, a Facebook group and he was going out with a backpack and checking on people's dogs in North London, same as me. So, uh, yeah, I just messaged him and I was like, let's let's meet up. So we did and thankfully got on all right um, and decided that together we could do a lot more than we could separately. So... Yeah, so we founded Street Streetlet as a not-for-profit organisation in April 2017. And then we got charity status January 2019.
0: So you've touched on sort of replicating yourselves. So not just you and him going out on the street and, and the few people that you know and have worked with. Um, you've actually spread it out across the country. So how has that rolled?
1: Yeah, it kind of exploded. Which is a great thing because it, it it means that it's needed and it's working. But it's been a quite a journey, obviously, because neither of us planned it. But yeah, so it was started in London. And then I had always said that when I went to Brighton, I saw a lot of people with dogs. So I wanted it to go to Brighton. And luckily, unluckily for one of my best friends, she's a vet and she lives in Brighton. So um, I pretty much asked her if she would lead it in Brighton. So it started in Brighton and then Sam went to Bristol University. So he had a lot of friends up there and also uh, there's a problem there. So it sort of went London, Brighton, Bristol, basically. And then, yeah, we got quite a lot of exposure within the veterinary press and we were quite present at, you know, conferences, talking to people about what we were doing. And yeah, the the email inbox just filled um, with people saying, I want to open it here, like we've got a big problem. Um, so then we're like okay well we could you know create some kind of framework and then the whole thing about street bet is that we didn't want it to be about that we had to do it. it you know the beauty of it in my mind is that we've got everybody on the same platform same level we've all got the same qualification um so the standards are where they should be and it's just a case of we'll help you to do the the sort of framework, we've done the hard bit. You know, the Royal College, the insurance, you know, registering as a practice, twenty four hour care. What we wanted it to be was that vets and nurses could volunteer without any professional risk to themselves. Could we done all the legwork so they literally could be like, right, I'm going to do two hours a month. That's what we ask of people, two hours a month, which for most people is is nothing. And so, yeah, it just sort of grew. So. It's a case of taking it, owning it in your own location, and working all together. But headquarters, so to speak, we support it. So we help with the funding, uniform, media, all the other things. So it has has got to a point that I had to leave work. So I was a full, I was vet, obviously, still am. But yeah, I I went full time street bit in February two thousand and nineteen. About a year and a half, I've been doing sort of full time street bit, and we now have. Two employees um so we have a general manager and an ops manager just because there's a lot of stuff to coordinate now we're in 16 locations across the uk and we've got about 650 volunteers
0: do you have like set packs that go out to the street vets who are who are going out how does that all work
1: (laughs) what we did was we registered every location as a practice so as a vet practice with the Royal College. So what that means is that if you're registered as a vet New practice, you can open your own drug account. But if you're doing that, you also have to have an inspection to make sure you're obviously keeping the drugs properly. So it's called the Veterinary Medicines Directorate. So we had meetings with them right at the beginning to say, how can we do this where it complies and we can do everything we're meant to and, and no one had ever really done it before so you know they they were amazing they came we had a meeting and we we worked it out and then within six months of a new street bit location opening we have an inspection to make sure we're compliant and if we are we then don't have an inspection for another four years so it's very much basically like running 16 mini practices around the UK so it has been done in accordance with, with everything that, that we're meant to do. And that, that was the hard bit. Um, that's where all the the kind of dotting the I's and, and crossing the T's come in. But so yeah, so every location has a has a drug account. So I order the drugs centrally. And because it's obviously it's a nationwide veterinary service, it, it just they get sent out to to the various locations. So yeah, there's a very set thing that goes in the backpack. Um, but obviously if we see a dog that needs something else they can contact me and if i order it it'll be there within 24 hours so that's how it works we also have an amazon wish list for every city which we did so that because people do like to be things so you know if if you've so we've got a dog for instance that is getting really elderly and arthritic so we put up on our Uh, on our social media that we want to buy this particular dog a a a stroller, you know, so that the owner can, can help the dog with getting around. And then people, you know, go onto the Amazon wishlist and and contribute to it. So we've got leads on their collars, toys, all that kind of stuff, the backpack, you know, stuff for the backpack when we open up a new city Um, and the public are amazing. Like they, they are amazing. And the veterinary profession is amazing. They've supported us with, you know, pro bono, um, procedures and we also have drug companies that have supported us right from the beginning and they give us certain drugs for free and yeah you know without that the power of everybody believing in it like it wouldn't have have escalated where it has but also we wouldn't be able to keep doing it you know we've got support from the pet industry in in terms of giving food and also you know, we've got these, well, I don't know if you do know or don't know, but we just won a prize to start Street Bet accredited hostels, which, you know, was just something we thought of. And now it's like, oh, now we have to do it. But that's going to require, you know, a lot of support from the industry. So we've got, you know, food companies willing to deliver food to the hostels on an ongoing basis. We've got a toy company, what I they're going to provide packs so that you know, they get a bed delivered, they get toys, they get, you know, as soon as they go into the hostel. So it, it's been a massive collaborative force, I would say, that's helped us get to where we are.
0: I was watching one of the, the videos on your website with a uh, young woman who, with her dog, and um, you were explaining that the dog had really, really bad itching skin. And and so you provide products that don't need washing washing off so you're thinking kind of around the whole problem so you know if they can't get to showers or a running water then you've got things that can be put on but don't have to be washed off and what other things have you specific stories that you have of problems that you've had to deal with that you've had to really think around the problem that you wouldn't have had those issues if you were mm. in a, a practice
1: yeah I mean I, I guess a lot of it's to do with compliance and it's not because the owners don't want to comply it's that maybe they they actually can't so yeah i mean bluebell is an example definitely you know if you if you don't have access to that's why we we stock shampoos for that reason that are foam and and they don't have to be washed off we certain ear products that we'll use we use specifically where we can instill it and then you don't have to do anything for another week we do have certain um things that are longer acting for that reason because we want to do as much as we can when we're physically with the animal rather than having to give the owner the responsibility of of maybe remembering because their lives are chaotic you know they they don't have a normal routine they can be moved on they can you know things happen so it's easier for them and easier for us if we can do as much as possible ourselves but against whenever we have like a a, a sick you know if we have a, a sick patient who is living on the street it, it, it does change how you have to think because well, you've got it. There's so much more to think about. So, it's firstly, it's the owner, and how if you have to take that pet into a hospital and it may have to stay for a period of time, it's how it's going to affect them. Are they going to be able to cope with that um, mentally? But also, it's if we had a dog with a fracture, for instance, you know, what about the aftercare? Where's that dog going to recover? You know, it can't go back on the street. It can't, or, you know, if they just had a big surgery, you, they can't go back on the street per se. So, it's it's thinking about that side of it and you know rehabilitation you know we've had dogs that we wanted to do hydro on and we want to do physio on and it's 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 the continuity that's hard so it's not necessarily the continuity of the owners wanting to keep in touch but it may just be you know physically arranging arranging is hard when somebody is having a chaotic life but maybe their phone runs out of battery and they can't charge it or you know they don't have any credit on their phone so you've got to it's a complex situation that you you have to take into account a lot more things so there are certain drugs we will not use because not necessarily because we think the owners are going to abuse them but it puts them at risk of being a target if they're on the street so we don't use any controlled drugs at all in terms of dispensing you know chemotherapy is not something that we can do um in the same way because you need the compliance has to be spot on but also these people are probably quite immunocompromised themselves you know there's lots of things that you have to sort of take into consideration and not being able to access a fridge you know um and things like that so yeah you, you do have to think differently i think certainly you know taking a blood sample on oxford street you know, it's not something I ever thought I'd have to do, or a urine sample, or you know, but but that's what you're doing. You're you're doing things in very precarious, unexpected situations. But we have a conference or that would be our third conference and would be this year, but I don't think we'll be having it. But we designed that A to say thank you to the volunteers and to give them a CPD um for free, but also so that we could, you know, it's called the art of street betting and what we try and do is get specialists in to talk about, you know, different so dermatology or cardiology, but with the the frame of mind that we're, we're we're on the street. We want practical things that we can do that allow us to be pragmatic, but we're not going to, you know, if we have an animal that needs a certain thing, we're not going to not do it because of cost if we can do it, but we want to be sort of practical so yeah we have like dermatologists that come and neurologists we've had like amazing talks and um, from people who really sort of get get into the idea of, of that's the kind of sort of veterinary medicine we're trying to practice.
0: So you talked about your own mental health and how has that been since you've developed Street Vet?
1: I'm not gonna lie my mum and dad were like you're like a nightmare you know because I just decided as a result of you know certain mental health things to reduce how many days a week I was doing as a vet, and they were like, they know me. So it, it, when I get my head into something like I can't give a little bit of me, I give all of me. And so they were like, you know, this is worrying us. Like you're gonna then give all of yourself to something else, and and I guess like there's no way that I can say that happened because I have. <laughs> um, and street vet became something like I did before work, during work, after work, but I think. It's just a different balance because I do miss being a vet and I am going back to being a vet one day a week. Um, and I'm cutting, you know, my street bet hours are reducing as things are getting a bit more sort of stable. But I think what I get from street vet is something that I didn't get from. I'm not saying I didn't get from being a vet because I get different things from being a vet, but it's the ability to help and never having to say. Because when you're in vet new practice, you can't always help. You can't because it's not always you know, you don't have the final say uh, in a lot of things. And and I don't have the final say in street paint a lot of things because obviously it's up to the owners, but I've got the ability to give them options that they did not have. And that is something that is incredibly rewarding. But also just the relationships that you... It's a double-edged sword, I'm not going to lie. Like, you get close to people, you care about them, and they are in a subset of the community that is incredibly vulnerable you know the average age of a male person on the street is 46 you know um life expectancy so it is a double-edged sword it helps my mental health but there are times where it is damaging because it hurts you know you're exposing yourself to to everything and if you're the kind of person which most vets and nurses are Where you go into this profession because you want to help and you want to care and you want to fix that's the worst bit we're fixers and you can't fix homelessness we can't on our own fix this problem we can only fix the little bit that we can do and I think that that is that's something I recognized quite early on because I I had a client who similar ages to me and we were very we just got on really well he was like a bit of a brother and you know he was obsessed with street vet thought it was amazing he was like permanently coming up with ideas and things to do and he was yeah just like our biggest cheerleader and yeah I lost him and it absolutely broke me and I remember categorically the time of being in my room just thinking what have I done like I've, I've created something that's putting all these people like me who are you know wanting to fix into a situation where they're getting close to people who then you don't see it coming but something happens like that and they can, you know, lose their life. And I and I didn't see it coming. And I was like, literally, this is this is dangerous. Like what well, how am I going to protect all these people? So yeah, I don't think I've answered the question. But <laughs> I think it's it's it helps, but it you have to protect yourself. And and I am not the best advocate to explain to people how to do that because I'm I didn't do it. You know, I let somebody in Um, And to be honest, if I went back, I'd do it again because he was special and I was meant to meet him. And I I feel like he's part of, he is part of our journey. So we now have um, an award named after him. Um, So it's the Dean Lester Coleman Volunteer of the Year Award. And, you know, that's that's how we've kind of built him into the framework. But yeah, I felt like walking away. I, I, I was like, I'm done. I can't do this. But he would have never forgiven me. So, yeah.
0: So some people judge people who are living on the streets, and I've heard people say, "Well, they can't look after themselves, so why why have they got a dog? They can't look after the dog." Um, Can you explain more about that therapeutic relationship between a person and their pet? My puppy, Nearly Dog, (laughs) is a therapy dog in care homes or was up until lockdown, and. And I've seen at first hand how it can transform the life of somebody who is bedridden, stuck in one room, has nobody coming to visit, and the dog walks in and their world lights up. What have you seen on the streets that shows that? I think
1: lockdown showed it quite a lot to me, actually. You know, there was people being offered to get off the street so that weren't obviously risking their lives um, at the peak of it in London, which we know was obviously fairly bad, and the, you know, one of our clients said to me, I'd rather die. I'd rather risk my life than not not be with my dog because they hadn't offered accommodation. They'd offered the dog to go to kennels, but obviously it would be for an indeterminate amount of time. And he was like, no way, you know, I guess in answer to the people that have that comment and it's something we hear a lot. And to be honest, I probably had my own judgments that I hadn't thought about when I first started doing this, but when you have that conversation you realize that the majority or quite a lot of our clients were in a situation where they lost their homes and they didn't want to give up their dog and so the dog was with them in the life they had before they were homeless so a lot of the dogs that we look after are you know a geriatric age because they've been with them their whole lives so to ask the question, you know, why do you have your dog? Why do you have a dog when you can't look after yourself? Well, I actually think it's more testament to the fact that they are such well looked after dogs that they have kept onto them. They didn't just at the first hurdle, you know, dump them or, you know, take them to a rescue centre. The costs to a homeless person of being with their dog, people don't think about that. The costs to them are to do with not be able to sometimes access a soup kitchen because they won't let you in with a dog, to your their own health being compromised because they can't go to the doctors or they won't go into hospital because they will not leave their dog. But the biggest one, which is something that, that Streetbet have been particularly active in trying to do something about, is that only 10% of hostels will accept pets. So when you see that owner on the street with their dog, it's changing your mindset to think, you know, how much have they given up to be in the situation that they're sitting with their dog. I'm not saying that they don't get a massive amount back. because they do. A lot of our clients talk about, well, it's to do with routine, it's to do with responsibility, but it's also, you know, it's they, there's no judgment on them from their dog. Their dog isn't thinking, oh, you know, when, when did the, you last change your clothes? Or, you know, they can be sitting there. And, and the other lovely thing that can happen is that, as we know, dogs are a conduit conversation with other people so we have I have a client who who has the the most gorgeous Akita and you know when he's with him everybody talks to him but he had a day where his dog was at the vets and he said no one spoke to me he said I felt like I was invisible again and so you've you've got that aspect of it but also you know it's a case of again people will change their habits as well associated with you know it's a known fact like drug rate will go down because of their dog, you know, crime rate because they're they, they are living with the responsibility. They want to make sure their dog's okay. They don't want to be separated. And if that means, well, if I do this criminal activity, it means I might be separated from my dog. I don't want that. So there's a definite also improvement in mental well being, but reduction in sort of crime um associated. And there's, you know, there's papers written on that as well. But it, it's a symbiotic relationship, you know. They need each other. And you will probably notice and you'll have seen people, the dogs aren't, people well, they should be, but they're not on leads and they don't need to be because, well, they do and they should. That's the vet me. But, you know, they are fixated with their owner. They will, you know, I, I remember when I was, I saw an owner, I was chatting to him and he was just like, someone offered me a hundred quid for my dog. And I was like, all right, what did you say? And he said, I said, take her, just take her. And so the guy just... Went to take her, like she was literally rooted to the spot, and like she would not move. And he was just like, "Did you really think that I was going to sell you my dog?" And he was just like, "That's insulting that you just offered me that money." You know the, and it took probably I don't know how many months of me going to visit him on the street before she would maybe go on a lead with me. For like he was like he used to love doing it. Take her, go on, try take her. I'm like, okay, here we go again. <laughs> you know because that's that's the relationship. And anybody that that doesn't get that hasn't had a dog.
0: What have been the the real ups for you that sort of keep you going when you're struggling or tired or whatever?
1: It's twofold probably the 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 volunteers, so at the earlier stages, I would get messages from people saying, you know i was I was done. I'd had enough of this profession, and i I wanted to look for something else. but now this is just like, invigorated me and I love what I do again which is amazing so that side of it getting the feedback from the volunteers and the conference for me is yeah that's 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 magic there's like magic in that room for me because I just sit there and like look at all these people in the street bet hoodies like all just chatting to each other and it just seems a bit crazy and then yeah you know getting the Facebook message from an owner who's written you know thanks to, we had one recently who, an owner who's now in accommodation and he posted on our page a picture of his dog in the garden and just was like, you know, I don't know what I'd done with it, what I would have done if you guys hadn't been here and now here she is in our garden and, you know, it's it's seeing, we're not there to rehome like to get people off the street, but when you're with them on that journey and they get out the other side, it's amazing. It really is. It's, it's not as easy as giving someone a roof, there's so much more to it, but having them kept with their dog is what's going to help them do they're not going to do it without them and we do we, we support people for up to a year after they're off the street because you can't just withdraw the help because they're not on their feet yet but interesting you said that your dog does pets at therapy because I was had a meeting with pets the people that run pets as therapy and we were talking about the concept of getting some of our owners and their dogs to do it because well double fold their dogs are massively people orientated they love people but also it would give a real sense of purpose and like being part of something for our owners so yeah something that we're we're looking to do
0: that would be amazing because it Mm. it helps everybody then doesn't it yeah win win all the way around I hope
1: so yeah I've got too many projects I want to do
0: what else are your sort of possibilities for the future your vision for the future
1: we do obviously want to keep opening in more locations COVID-19 has Affected everybody, um, all charities. So I think we just opened Norwich before COVID nineteen. So you know they are literally just getting their outreaches back now. So, but yeah, I think how we do it is mostly vets and nurses get in touch with us and and say that there's a need and we go through a process of setting up. So I I don't have any in the pipeline in my own mind because we've just our focus has just been sort of redirected but I expect that we will be doing that. But the big focus at the moment is is doing the street vet accredited hostel scheme. So basically we've kind of looked at why hostels are maybe not in a position to accept dogs, asking the questions of why, what the barriers are. And we've created what we see is like a 360 sort of wraparound service. So we do the bet stuff, obviously. We provide the food, we provide the toys, we provide a policy for the hostel, because a lot of hostels have a policy, but it's maybe not as extensive as it should be. Like what happens if the owner ends up in a hospital, who's having the dog, you know, quite detailed, standardized. But the part of it that I think is a big gap that we're trying to sort of help in is, is the education. So a lot of people working in hostels didn't go into a hostel to look after dogs. Like they don't maybe know about dogs, they're maybe not very comfortable around dogs, or they feel like it's beyond them to be responsible for a dog. So what we're we're going to be doing is, yeah, like an e-learning course for people in hostels to go on that's going to educate them on body language, all that kind of stuff. And there'll be a, an accreditation pack for the hostel and also for the owners. And we're also going to have telemedicine platforms in every hostel so that if there's something urgent, because we're all volunteers, they can go on a telemedicine platform, get immediate advice, and then if it is an emergency, then they go straight to where they need to go, and we'll fund it. If it isn't an emergency, then we can arrange a visit at another point. So yeah, that's that's the project. So yeah, just getting all the the pieces of the puzzle together because very fortunate that we won um, some money to do this project. So yeah, we're just putting all the pieces together and trying to trying to get it done or get it started
0: it's very challenging being at the sort of forefront of something pioneering something pushing it to the edge how would you define courage
1: I think the thing for me is um, I get described as a dog with a bone by most people that know me so if I really believe in something I think you can get others to come with you on that journey especially if I guess you can show them it's all about you know what I can see what I saw as the benefit that day when I met that man with his dog I know that every single one of the vets and nurses going out in the street they're going to see that somewhere too and it's it's just that ripple effect that everybody's seeing so I wouldn't say that I don't know I guess I've never thought of myself as uh, you know as having courage in that way but I guess it's being able to stand up and say this needs to happen and we need to change it but I think a lot of people see things that need changing all the time, but I guess it's having the power of your convictions to not give up on it and just, you know, it might look like street vet went like that. It did not, <laughs> you know, it, it went all over the place and we've had a lot of kicks in the face Um, various sort of junctions where I was just like, oh my God, I'm done. Like, this is too hard. I can't do it. But it's yeah it's just not giving I'm, I'm not one to give up if if something really matters to me then then i won't and i think it's it's that kind of grit that gets you to where you need to be it's not it's not easy it's definitely not easy but it's the reward of it is i don't know i i, I don't think i could have stopped i felt like i had to do it i felt like i was maybe gonna sound a bit but i felt like i was meant to do this and so at times when i thought about not doing it i was just like well I can't stop. I can't go back. I can only keep going.
0: You're definitely a real life brave new girl. <laughs> Who would you recommend as a as another brave new girl to interview? I
1: would recommend Nikki Stevens. She used to be a vet nurse, but she's now founder of an organisation called IAPWA, which is the International Aid for Protection and Welfare of Animals. But she was a massive inspiration to me, and um, when I started, like I remember. I spoke to her on the phone and I was like, I thought, like, in the charity world, like, it wouldn't be like this. And she was like, yeah, I thought that too. You think everyone's Mother Teresa. You learn who, you know, the people are that you need to speak to and who you're going to have your back. And she, she's basically, I'm sure you'll look at it yourself, but she went on her holiday to Borneo, saw a dog and was like, oh, we better take that to the vet. And everyone looked at her like, the vet? And yeah, she's just basically stopped the meat trade in places. She stopped, oh, she's just done all over the world. She's a force to be reckoned with, um, and a really, really awesome person.
0: She sounds definitely like someone I'd love to interview. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Jade, for showing us how important it is for people living on the streets to have their pets, and to your street vet charity for providing the kind of care that these animals need so that they can keep up their therapeutic relationships with their owners. I really appreciate your time here and sharing your journey and it's absolutely amazing work that you're doing. Thank you. I want to cry. (laughs) Really powerful stuff. Keep going um, and look after yourself too. I will. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jade. And goodbye. Bye. Thanks Jade for showing us how important it is for people living on the streets to have their pets and to your Street Vet charity for providing the kind of care these animals need so that they can keep being there for their owners. You can find out more about Jade's work at www.streetvet.co.uk and follow her on at streetvetuk underscore. Thanks also to Podstar PR for producing the series, and to you, our tribe, for listening. Download, rate, and review on your podcast provider so that we can keep bringing you this free podcast. Goodbye for now and see you next time.